We'll be reading in Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It's an incident similar to what we looked at last week, but it's a whole totally different incident in a totally different place, although the situation is quite familiar in that people had a need, a need that only God could fill, and God met that need. But there's some other stories here, too, that we'll look at. And, of course, that's where the grown-up lessons in the Bible story comes from. This event uh, also would be mentioned in a children's Bible story book, usually right around, uh, alongside of the Manus and about the same place in the Scriptures. Uh, and some important messages for us in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? Then all the congregation of the children of Israel sat out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also, take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the place, the name of the place, Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word tells us so much about you about your plan for us, and about ourselves. We ask that the things we hear tonight, you would help them to find their place in our heart and then remind us of these things when we need them the most. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As this morning, the children of Israel are in the wilderness of sin. Now, the word sin in the English here does not mean what it does in English. The name sin is a Hebrew word, and it's related to Sinai. It has nothing to do with the morals in the particular wilderness area there, and they're not quite sure exactly. Scholars can't find a definite meaning of this word sin. It's just the name of this particular place where they were. Uh, and once again, they are thirsty. And once again, we have the irritation of repetition. The same problem comes to the top. It says they contended with Moses. I think the King James says they, they chided with Moses. Some uh, English translations say they quarreled with Moses, but that implies that Moses and the people were going back and forth, and that's not exactly what happened. I think a, a good translation would be they scolded Moses. They scolded Moses. And then it says they complained. 
I believe this is the same word we have in the King James over and over again. They murmured. Another episode of griping and grumbling. There's a Bible scholar I like to read after. His name is J. Vernon McGee. He used to have a radio program years ago, and, of course, the, the, the writings that he has are, are some transcripts and so forth of this radio program, and he had a way with words. He said, we have here in the Bible a whole species of snake. Here we have a den of desert gripers. There they are in the desert, griping, complaining, and, and they're constant with us. But as in life, we can let the whiners and the negatives and the grumblers and the gripers occupy our attention, or we can focus on the other things and on the positive. They do not have to use up all the oxygen in the room, so to speak. And we don't have to focus on them. We can look at the positive, even though there's a lot of negative in this uh, situation. It's such a, a negative situation that Moses called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. One of these words means the people were tested. And the other word means they griped. So that's where he named the place. But now let's turn away from the negativity, and that's a lesson for us to learn in the workplace and sometimes where we have to do business. And we want two things that we look at today, the rod and the rock, the rod and the rock. In verse 5, Moses, God said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river. The rod, the rod that he has in his hand. With this rod, Moses struck the river in Egypt. This is in Exodus chapter 7, and the Egypt became blood. With this rod, Moses stretched it out over the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, and God parted the sea. But God specifically told him, you take the rod in your hand and step to the Red Sea, stretch it out over, and then he parted the waters. In the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, Moses is trying to tell God that he had made a mistake and he was not the man for the job. He was trying to give God every excuse that he could find why he was not going to be able to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God stopped him in his tracks and just asked him a question. Moses, what is that in your hand? God could see what it was. It was a rod. He wasn't hiding it from God. God knew what it was, and God knew that Moses knew what it was. This was a shepherd's rod that he had had probably for 40 years as he kept his father-in-law's sheep in the desert. This rod was a very ordinary implement that all the shepherds had. This was not a magic wand. This was not a Star Trek lightsaber. This was a regular, ordinary rod. But the lesson here when we look at the rod is this. The rod that was so ordinary was what he had available. And God said, I can use that and I can use you. And what he had in his hand that seemed to be so insignificant and so unassuming and so common, God did wonderful things with that when he was willing to follow God's direction in his life. And so God comes to us and he asks us, what is that in your hand? 
What he wants us to do is let's take stock of our life situation. We may think that we're so everyday, ordinary, almost invisible. We don't have much to offer to God. And God says, what do you have? What's in your hand? And he says, well, I'll use that, and I'll use you. And with this rod, God did amazing things. For 40 more years, Moses carried this rod. No doubt there were times it fulfilled the everyday purpose that Moses had used it for, steadied his steps as he walked through the wilderness ways and up steep hills and down through valleys. It was always there to offer stability, sometimes protection. And he did a lot of things that you would ordinarily do, everyday things through the course of the day, but then every now and then, God would use that rod to do the extraordinary. And God can use you and me in our ordinary lives, in our ordinary stuff, and do the extraordinary. What did he do with the rod? He said, you take this rod, ordinary rod, and you hit the rock. It was the power in the stick. No. The power was in the fact God was using Moses, and Moses was willing to obey him, and what was ordinary became miraculous and extraordinary and did what never could have been done, and nobody ever seen that done with that kind of rod. In the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 78, the psalmist wrote about this. We see a, a very brief description about what happened in the book of Exodus. But the psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 78, verse 15. Psalm chapter 78, verse 15. He split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He brought forth streams out of the rock, caused the rivers to run down, caused the waters to run down like rivers. He gave them drink in abundance like the depths. The word depths here means the ocean. So the psalmist here is a little bit more descriptive. He hit the rock, and out of it, waters didn't trickle. It wasn't a little puddle. It says it gushed out. It gushed out like the ocean. It was like rivers. And you have to understand how many, how many had to drink? Well, as they came out of Egypt, there were 600,000 young men, not counting women and children. It was well upwards of close to 2 million people and livestock had to take a drink that day. It's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. And so when you turn away from the negative people and you look at the rod, then you begin to see something positive. You begin to see something we can use. We can use that information and apply it to our life. And God asks us, what do you have in your hand? And then he says, well, your excuses are gone because I can use you and I can use that. And then we have the rock. And again, the rock is another picture of something greater. At that time, they might have thought, 
There's nothing greater than God providing water for us and saving our lives in the wilderness. What could be greater than that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 1. Paul is giving them a little history lesson about what happened in the wilderness, and he makes a very definite statement. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses, in the, the cloud, in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The rock was just a picture of something better, something greater, and that rock was Christ. That's a definite statement. The rock in the desert gave them water that gushed out and they drank. But later on, they got thirsty again, didn't they? The rock, Jesus Christ, is something greater in that that's a spiritual rock with living water. And Jesus explains this to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Well, familiar with, of course, the, the incident, Jesus comes to the well and a, a woman comes there. It's the middle of the day. It's lunchtime. And he says, give me to drink. She's surprised because Jewish men do not talk to women in public, specifically Samaritan women. And she said, I, I can't understand why you're talking to me. And in chapter 4, verse 10 of John Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This morning we spoke about manna. And he said, your fathers ate manna. They got hungry again. But the bread that I give you is living bread, and that will give you everlasting life. And he told that, that woman, as good as this well is, you drink this water, you get thirsty again. They drank the water in the wilderness from that rock. They got thirsty again. But the living water from the rock that is Christ never thirsts. It fills that hunger. It fills that thirst. It fills that emptiness in our heart. You see, this rock is a picture of something far greater. In the book of Deuteronomy, verse 32, verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 4, it says, He is a rock. His work is perfect. 
In the 18th Psalm, David asked the question, Who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? So we understand God is our rock. God is the rock. And I want to leave with just one more passage of Scripture, and that turns our thoughts away from all that's negative and turns them to something that's positive in the 61st Psalm, verse 1. It's a prayer. It's a good prayer to mark in your Bible when things are going bad and you don't have quite the words to say because the problems are so big and the issues are so complicated. Here's where we turn. Psalm 61, verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And then there's that little word selah, which means just stop and think calmly about that. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, and I will stay in the shelter of your wings. Is there anything before we close? Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Be in prayer for all that's going on through the week and through the summer. And we have a lot of people in the hospital and things happening. Stop. Go over this list. Pray about this. They definitely can feel your prayers and they know that folks are praying for them. Anything before we close?